Welcome to episode number nine of the ACC Basketball Report. It is February 25th, first thing on a beautiful Sunday morning after a fantastic day of Saturday hoops in the ACC. Uh, ended a little bit on a sour note uh, as far as the Duke-Syracuse game. That game was kind of a letdown, but, uh, but all in all yesterday, some really good action. I am Michael Hunter, otherwise known as Pcone36 on Twitter. Uh, this podcast pairs with the content on accbasketballreport.com. This is a crowdfunded podcast. To be a patron, to support the podcast, please go to accbasketballreport.com. Click on the RSS feed on the right-hand side. Uh, go to my Podbean page. Click on Be a Patron and donate whatever you deem is necessary. I thank you for any donations, any support you guys are able to give. Uh, don't forget to like, rate, review, share. Uh, say whatever you want in the review. Call me an asshole. Call me a know-nothing piece of shit. As long as you give it five stars, I appreciate it. And uh, maybe we start a dialogue. Maybe we have a debate. Maybe we have a conversation on uh, on uh, certain uh, topics that you feel passionate about. Uh, craziness, craziness this week. Um, but in the shadow of, uh, of the criminal investigations, uh, we had the first program uh, in history vacate a national title this week. Uh, underlying and underneath all of that nonsense, some really good basketball this week. Uh, teams are starting to, uh, I thought teams are starting to separate themselves from the pack, but uh, things really just getting tighter in this conference. Um, some teams showed out yesterday, some teams came back yesterday. Um, you know, some pivotal players starting to get healthy at the right time. Uh, we're going to get into all that today. I'm going to get into the Louisville stuff today. Um, I've got kind of a different take on it uh, than most, I think. I've gotten into a few uh, few Twitter beefs the last couple days. Um, we're going to talk about the FBI probe a little bit. I'm not a lawyer, nor am I any kind of legal expert, so I'm just going to kind of give a vague opinion on that and what I think. But first, let's get to the weekend review. Uh, going back to last Sunday... Duke went to Clemson. Clemson missing its point guard, Shelton Mitchell, who's out with a concussion. Uh, Duke actually didn't have Bagley either. Uh, Grayson Allen, senior leader, steps up. Duke has four guys in double figures, led by Allen with 19. Uh, Gabe DeVoe, without his point guard, without his running mate, goes one for 10, one for eight from behind the arc. Um, and Marquise Reed, who ended up having to play the point, uh, goes three for 14. Clemson shoots five for 20 from three, probably the poorest performance I've seen them Play since Grantham went out, uh, Duke goes 22 of 26 from the line, and uh, you know Duke gets a pretty easy win on the road. Uh, the score would indicate that it was fairly close, but I don't think the game was ever really in doubt. Um, same day, Sunday last week, uh, Pittsburgh goes down to Tallahassee. They actually lead at the half, 39 to 38. Um, Florida State ends up winning, 88-75. Um, the lead was three. With, uh, with three and a half to go. Pittsburgh had an opportunity here in a game that we all thought, you know, they would surely lose. They had an opportunity to actually win the game. Um, you know, Florida State stretches it out at the end, but uh, this game was really close. Florida State, you know, that, their season would have been over. Right now they're ranked in the top 25. They would have been out of the tournament completely with this loss, I believe. Um, Parker Stewart was 16 uh, for the Panthers. Jared Wilson frame was 17. Five Seminoles in double figures. P.J. Savoy with 18, which uh, P.J. Savoy uh, recently came back from a knee injury, uh, given the Seminoles a really much-needed spark uh, in, his, in his time back. If you go to uh, accbasketballreport.com, I put up a little piece on him and Trent Forrest earlier this week, um, just a, you know, a little bit of additional content. Their depth 
of talent is something they're really benefiting from right now. Uh, Leonard Hamilton and Carlton Young have stockpiled that roster with, you know, some one and done, some two and done, some five star guys the last few years. But what they've also been doing is stockpiling good, uh, long term three star guys that are going to develop into people that you know eventually are, are going to help them win games. And right now, that's what PJ Savoy and Trent Forrest are doing, is uh, you know providing a lot of depth. At uh, you know Trent Forrest is a kid that can play probably four positions. Um, plays fantastic defense. He's been uh, a guy that I've been, you know, not real flattering of in my time on this podcast. But he's really helping them win. And PJ Savoy is obviously a sniper from outside, who uh, who's given them you know obviously led the led the team with 18 points in this game. He's obviously given them a spark, and uh, they avoid an embarrassing loss at home uh, against a terrible Pittsburgh team. Uh, moving into Monday, only one game. Miami goes to Notre Dame and actually gets the win, 77-74. I thought Notre Dame would win this game given how poorly Miami's played or how uh, up and down they've played, I guess. Inconsistent would be the name of Miami's game right now. Uh, good game to watch. Miami played efficiently. They only had eight turnovers, only 14 fouls, and they shot over 50%. If Miami's able to do that, then they're obviously you know, better off and more likely to realize their potential, I think. Um, again, we say this every week, Miami is a team that's loaded with talent, loaded with potential. Some people pick them to win this conference. If, you know, in this game, on the road, if they're able to play like that, there's really nobody in the country they can't beat. Now, Notre Dame obviously a little shorthanded, especially in the front court. But, uh, you know, Miami is a pretty good defensive team. They're Especially early on in the season, they've kind of uh, slacked off lately. Bruce Brown was obviously a big part of that. Um, Notre Dame in this game didn't really play poorly. They just can't. They just couldn't stop Miami. You know, Miami. Uh, you know, shot well all three levels. Uh, just controlled the game. I thought. I believe they also had 15 assists in this game. 16 assists, which is unlike them. Typically, uh, they're a team that doesn't really share the ball that well. But uh, you know, a good win for Miami. Um, they needed some quality wins this week. This isn't exactly a quality win, but it would have been a bad loss. So, <clears throat> Miami is. Padding themselves right now, padding their resume. I think they're in the tournament, obviously. They, they played well this week, and I'm going to get into more of that in just a second. Uh, Tuesday, uh, another game. Uh, what was that? Yeah, another one-game slate on Tuesday night. Boston College went to NC State. Uh, NC State got, you know, another victory. This is a team that is now in the double-buy situation. You know, the Wolfpack are in the top four in the ACC. Uh, they're a team that nobody is going to want to play in March, I don't believe. And this was the game on which the game on the day in which Jerome Robinson uh, sto a story broke from the News and Observer that Jerome Robinson is going to turn pro after the season which sucks for uh, Boston College <laughs> Robinson celebrates that by going out and going 4 for 20 over 6 from deep on the day uh, also turned an ankle in this game uh, a little bit banged up uh, NC State goes out and, and <laughs> it's funny if you watch the first 12 minutes of this game you wouldn't think that uh, NC State won by almost 20 but uh, with eight minutes to go in the first half, which is where the game was really run, NC State had 21 points on the scoreboard that ended the half with 44. So in the last three minute, uh, last eight minutes of that half, they scored 23 points. They shoot 55% overall, 52% from deep, 76% from the uh, free throw line. Braxton Beverly goes five or six from deep. You know, this was, uh, you know, after the first 12 minutes, which the game was not well played, a lot of turnovers. I think uh, NC State had six turnovers in the first 10 minutes. But once they stopped turning the ball over, they just started bombing from deep. Sam Hunt, uh, Braxton Beverly, you know, really, uh, really just having themselves a day out there at the expense of Boston College. 
on a day when Jerome Robinson probably had all eyes on him, but uh, but uh, didn't quite work out in his favor. Uh, Wednesday was a pretty good-sized slate. Georgia Tech goes to Virginia, obviously gets beat 65-54. The Hoos get the win. Pretty good game plan by Georgia Tech, I thought. Uh, they finally realized that Ben Lammers has been suffering the last 10 to 15 games at the expense of the development of A.D. Gay. A.D. played three minutes in this game. Uh, UVA does what they do. They took Josh Kogi away. He had seven points. Let me grab a sip of water. Uh, only 12 turnovers the entire game, six by each team. So uh, a pretty well-played game. Uh, GT, uh, Georgia Tech has trouble scoring anyways. You uh, you know, you put that, uh, that that pack line defense into place against them, and you're, just, you're, you're looking for, for a disaster there. Uh, Virginia only had one guy, Ty Jerome, scoring double figures. Uh, he had 18 points on the night. Uh, you know, G-Tech was down one at the half, 31-30. You know, you can't ask for anything better than that. But, you know, as as per the season, they forget to come out in the second half. Um, you know, UVA outscores them uh, by tw- nine in the second half. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Louisville goes down to Duke, gets boat raised. Grayson Allen, 28 points. Wendell Carter, 18-9-6. Uh, Ray Spaulding did post the double-double 17 and 10. He's a pro. I'm not sure if he's going to stick around after this year. Uh, Louisville, more turnovers and assists, and they shoot less than 36%. Typical Louisville this year. I mean, inconsistent. Uh, you never know what you're going to get. They lose 82 to 56 on the road in Cameron, sure. But Louisville's got more talent than 56 points at Cameron. I mean, and they've certainly got a better front line than being negative 14 on the glass. You know, Duke is plus 14, and they're 15 to 16 from the line. Grayson Allen scores 28 points. Nobody in the, in the conference is going to win, typically, uh, when Duke when Duke puts those kind of those statistics on the scoreboard at the same time in the same game. Uh, UNC goes to Syracuse. They get the win, 78-74. Theo Pinson, 23-6-7. Can't wait to hear what the degenerates say about that on their podcast this week. Uh, I thought UNC navigated that zone pretty well. Um, you know, they put up 41 in the first half. Uh, Howard and Battle, they, they you know they continue to be the, the guys for Syracuse. They they combine to go for 49. But uh, if that Syracuse zone isn't working, they ain't gonna win. And uh, UNC did just enough. This was a pretty good game. Uh, you know, four point spread at the end. Uh, I didn't watch a whole lot of it here and there. I watched about most of the first half. But uh, I thought UNC really kind of had this game wrapped up. Uh, Clemson went to Virginia Tech again without Sheldon Mitchell. Shelton Mitchell. Uh, they lose 58-65. Uh, Virginia Tech seems to be rolling at this point in the week. Uh, Clemson again playing without Shelton Mitchell. DeVoe struggled as he did the entire time Mitchell was out. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, Marquise Reed, not a point guard, but he is. He was handling uh, the point guard responsibilities this week. Did have 28 in this game, but uh, you know he, he's more of a uh, off the ball, off the screen, works on the elbows gets into the lane, gets to the line. That's, that's the kind of player he is. That's his comfort zone. He's not able to do that with Mitchell out. Uh, Virginia Tech, nine guys getting the scorebook for VT, 14 for Blackshear, uh, 14 for Robinson. Uh, Virginia Tech needed this game. They got a good victory of a, a, a quadrant one, air quotes, uh, team, whatever the fuck that means. They could be quadrant four tomorrow. I don't, I don't really know. Um, I think Virginia Tech is pretty securely in the dance right now. I, I, I think I saw yesterday that most people, Lenardi, I guess, would be the foremost expert, uh, had them at a nine yesterday. So I think they're pretty safely in. Um, I think they're going to avoid the first four in Dayton. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech, I would rather face Virginia Tech than NC State, but Virginia Tech's also a team that if they get hot from three, 
on a weekend, they could be in the Sweet 16 before you know it. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, last game on the Wednesday night slate, Wake Forest goes to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's actually up one at the half, 28-27. Um, and then they forget to come out after halftime. Pittsburgh didn't score a two-point bucket against Wake Forest until the three-minute and 11-second mark with time left in the second half. Uh, Jared Wilson frame then after, I'm sorry, after Wake Forest does take the lead, Jared Wilson frame gets a breakaway dunk uh, to bring Pittsburgh back within two with about 10 seconds left to go. Uh, they obviously would have put Wake Forest on the foul line after that. He misses the dunk, and, uh, you know, Pittsburgh doing Pittsburgh things. Um, one interesting thing in this game, and it was something that I didn't know, you know, I had been confused on the topic. Uh, according to Dan Bonner in this game, Pittsburgh does shoot so many threes due to lack of options, due lack of quality offensive options on the interior. So, you know, thanks, Dan. You know, dynamite inside as usual. I, I was unaware, and, you know, most of us were unaware that, uh, that Pittsburgh didn't have a front court and that that's why they shoot so many threes. So I really appreciate that insight. You know, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, being, being, a professional broadcaster on the ESPN network of, uh, of professionals. That's what that gets you is, you know, that kind of, that kind of education, that kind of experience, that's the insight that brings. And we're all thankful for Dan Bonner and his, uh, his contributions. Uh, moving into yesterday's slate, uh, Georgia Tech goes to Clemson. GTAC hasn't won at Little John since 2005. So there was no expectation here. Um, Kogi played well, played like a pro yesterday. 22 points, 8 boards, 6 assists. Gets his 4th foul, middle of the second half, I think 8-9 minutes to go, and Georgia Tech forgets how to score. You know, they forget how to play. They don't have any, they don't have a point guard anyway, and now with a Kogi up, they don't have anybody to go get a bucket for them. Uh, Gabe DeVoe, 28 points. Apparently loves playing against Georgia Tech because when they went to McCamish, she had 25 in Atlanta. So, <clears throat> gets off the schneid a little bit. Uh, Shelton Mitchell did come back yesterday. Obviously, Clemson plays better with Mitchell in the game. He didn't have a fantastic game, but he also alleviated Marquise Reed at the point guard position, who was able to go out play his natural position at the off guard position, is able to set Gabe DeVoe up, get him in proper position to, uh, to succeed. Obviously, the comfort level's there. Gabe puts up 28 points. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't think... That, uh, that Clemson is a top 16 seed at this point. They rely really heavily on the three-point shot. If, you know, they're really good at making them, obviously, but, uh, but a team like that, ugh, I, almost, I almost like NC State better, and I do actually like NC State better. You're going to find that out in just a second. But uh, Clemson's a team that's going to get a top four seed probably, and then they're going to be an upset in the first or second round. Uh, you know, mark my words. Uh, another game yesterday, obviously a big slate. I think there's six games yesterday. Uh, UVA goes for their uh, their gimme win at Pittsburgh. Uh, they win 68, uh, sorry, 66-37. Uh, you know, just reading through my notes there and a little humor coming on. Uh, Pitt scores seven first-half points on one of 22 shooting. Uh, you know, that's all you really need to know. Uh, you know, UVA is up 30-7 to seven at the half. Uh, Pittsburgh did score two buckets in a 51-second span in one point during the half. So... The other 19 minutes and 9 seconds, they made three free throws, and that was it. I think they went 0 for 13 from deep and uh, 1 of 22 from the field in the first half. Uh, you know, just it, it, you, just when you think that Pittsburgh, you can't laugh at them anymore, they do something like that. And, uh, you know, it was almost worth putting a 100 spot on Pittsburgh yesterday because you could have made some serious bank on the money line, but thankfully I did not do that. Uh, Syracuse goes to Duke for uh, the closeout game last night. Uh, I was at a bar, and let's just say my bar tab doubled when I was watching this game because it was so terrible to watch. 
you know, they start out, both teams combined to go 0 for 18 from deep to start the game. Now, that extends, obviously, very far into the game. Uh, Syracuse did end up making a couple triples towards the end of the game to actually make this a little bit closer than, uh, than it really was. Uh, I think, actually, Duval actually got Duke off the schneid and hit their first triple. Uh, Carter and Bagley uh, tore that zone pretty well. Carter going to the high post. Uh, feeding Bagley on the baseline had a couple nice dunks there at one point uh, Carter also puts up another double-double um, You know Duke gets a win at home, you know Syracuse I'm I, these are the games that I watched that I'm not sure Syracuse is a tournament team um, I, You know it, it, they got two guys and uh, if those guys don't perform and Brissett doesn't shoot well like he didn't yesterday then, uh, then, then Syracuse is toast. I don't, I don't know if you give them a tournament spot over a team like New Mexico State or you know some somebody like that. Um, obviously, they will get it. I think um, if it comes down to that. But we'll see what happens on Selection Sunday. Uh, Louisville went to Blacksburg yesterday, got a very much needed win, uh, 75-68 over Virginia Tech. This was the only game I got wrong on the pick'em on the Reddit ACC page yesterday. On uh, you know. <laughs> Quentin Snyder, Dwayne Sutton, both set uh, career highs. Dwayne Sutton is this the uh, Louisville career high. He was obviously uh, a great player in another conference, UNC Asheville, I believe, at one point. Uh, Snyder had seven triples, five in the first half, basically single-handedly kept them in this game in the first half. Uh, Virginia Tech came out. I think at one point their lead was nine. Uh, looked like they may run away with it. Uh, you know, Louisville ends the game on a 16-8 run. They hold uh, Justin Robinson at one point in the second half. And Kerry Blackshear fouls out, and and two of Blackshear's five fouls are ridiculous. You know, on one of them he is being boxed out on the offensive end, and he's going against three Louisville players, and he just tries to jump over him. You know, it's an obvious foul. It's a situation where you compare Blackshear to like Ben Lammers. You watch Ben Lammers play; he knows when he's beat on the offensive glass. You know, you'll see Lammers go up, and then he'll br he'll bring his hands back to his body so he doesn't reach over the top of that player. Something Blackshear doesn't need to do or hasn't learned how to do. He, he went up yesterday, I believe his third foul. Ah, uh, no, it was, it was his fourth foul. Um, goes up, and instead of actually trying, he, he has no shot at the rebound. He knows he has no shot in the offensive glass and tries to tip it out anyway. Basically swipes over the top, which draws all the attention to what he's doing. He's the only player on the floor with that type of movement in that situation, and when the ball pops loose, they call the foul. Now, there was another instance where he's on defense, and he's late on the rotation, and instead of sliding his feet or getting into position, he just swipes at the Louisville player. And what makes it even worse is he swipes from top to bottom, which makes it look like even if he doesn't, even if he didn't accomplish uh, what they called him for, it looks like they, he got him on the arm. That's an obvious call. That was his second or third foul, I believe. So, so... Blackshear basically should have had three fouls yesterday, but due to maybe whatever be inexperience, you know, Lammers is a senior, Blackshear is a sophomore, redshirt sophomore, or, or laziness on the other one, um, if you're late on the rotation and you're, you're that pivotal player for, for Virginia Tech, you just let them have the layup because that layup is worth less than your fourth foul. When it comes to Virginia Tech and Kerry Blackshear, he has to be on the floor for them in order to win. And after he went out with his fourth foul, it became Lob City for Louisville. Uh, you know, I think Ray Spalding and Dangadell hooked up for three alley-oops at one point over like a five-minute stretch in this game. I mean, just throwing over the top, wearing Virginia Tech out at home. It, it was just a bad showing by Virginia Tech, especially in the second half. And I thought Blackshear 
was really the one that deserves the finger pointing at that point. Um, I thought P.J. Horn played very well second half. Uh, in, in Blackshear's absence, you know, uh, Horn has been playing out of position all year, and you don't hear him bitch, piss, and moan. Um, just went out there. I think he had six second-half points. But Blackshear has to stay on the floor. P.J. Horn is not Kerry Blackshear. Uh, you know, he's a two-minute solution. But, uh, you know, this kid, he's got to be on the court, and he needs to play smarter, in my opinion. Uh, Boston College goes down to Coral Gables yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Boston College looked good for uh, about 39 minutes and 39 seconds. And, uh, and Miami's down 14 with about five and a half to go. Um, they come all the way back. Chris likes hitting free throws, hitting layups, getting into the lane, causing a bunch of hell. Um, and then uh, Lonnie Walker goes out, and instead of going for the two for the tie, goes for the triple. He makes a three. 2.3 seconds left. Miami's up by one. Um, <laughs> it, it was a game that Miami had to have, especially at home, and they got it. But they, they didn't look great doing it, but they looked pretty good in the last five and a half minutes. Uh, Boston College obviously kind of went in the shitter after uh, Kai Bowman fouls out on a, a pretty obvious offensive foul, I believe. Um, you know, after that, Boston College doesn't really have anybody to handle the ball except for Jerome Robinson. Um, and Miami obviously keyed on that, took that away. They made Jordan Chapman uh, handle the ball a little bit, and he got into some trouble. But a uh, big win for Miami uh, that's going to get Lonnie Walker some big attention. Obviously, he's he's a first-round pick. But uh, his, his uh, profile, I think, is beginning to grow. Uh, in uh, Bruce Brown's absence, he has really obviously made that his team. They go 2-0 this week. Um, you know, that, that's big for them because I was a little bit down on them last week. I believe they were in my seller, uh, my selling on the stock report category. Uh, last game of the weekend, Notre Dame goes to Wake Forest. Uh, this is a decent game to watch, really. Uh, you know, obviously one team's poorly coached, the other team's missing a ton of talent. But uh, Wake Forest up 5 at the half, 41-36. Uh, Wake was up actually nine uh, with eight to play, and then they only scored two points the rest of the game. The, you know, at one point, uh, I can't remember what the score was, and I should have written it down. Uh, Wake Forest had a, a situation where they could have tied the game, brought themselves within one or two, something like that, and they call a timeout, they get the ball at midcourt, and the Wake Forest inbounder, I can't, I can't remember who it was, uh, just throws the ball right into Notre Dame defender's chest, the guy defending the inbound pass, and what was just... <laughs> You know, that's that's Wake Forest. That's losing basketball that they play at Wake Forest. Danny Manning is now 54-71 and 71 in four years at Wake Forest. Jeff Buzdelic was 51-76, and 76, I think, something like that. So Danny Manning, again, continues to bring in good talent, which makes him well-respected, I guess, amongst his own fans. But they ain't doing shit with it. You know, Wake Forest is one of the, the most disappointing teams in the conference this year. And Danny Manning is one of the worst coaches in the conference overall. Uh, you know, hot garbage. A dumpster on fire. Um, I, 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 there's nothing different from Danny Manning than there is Jeff Buzdelic. Uh, you know, I didn't pick them in the in the cellar of the ACC in the preseason because they don't have talent. They have talent. They don't have a coach. So that is the week in review. Um, I, I thought it was a fun week. That Miami game yesterday, that shot that Lonnie Walker hit was fantastic. Watching uh, Georgia Tech go down in flames against uh, Clemson yesterday was something we all saw coming. And, you know, it was interesting to see how Clemson would persevere 
which they did. Uh, Gabe Duvall obviously stepped up. Uh, the Wake Forest game, Wake Forest Notre Dame game yesterday was great because I, I, I'm like I said, if I wasn't a Georgia Tech fan, I would be a Notre Dame fan. Um, I thought it was a good week of basketball. Uh, I think as we as we move into the conference tournament, I think right now it's solid nine. Um, I think solid nine teams into the ACC tournament. I'm sorry, the NCAA tournament. Um, Syracuse. I think Notre Dame is still fighting for that last spot. Uh, I'm going to talk about them here in just a second. Um, I want to move into the updated power rankings, and then we'll get into some discussion uh, on my thoughts on some other stuff. Uh, so number one, basically one, two, and three don't change. UVA, uh, you know, Virginia, North Carolina, Duke. That's the top three in the conference in that order. Uh, I still basically, especially after last night, watching Syracuse and Duke play. Duke just, they have some flaws. Uh, that preseason bet that I put down for Duke to win the national championship looks worse and worse, it seems, each week. Uh, I, I think that UVA is obviously the cream of the crop. Uh, I think UNC is a better overall team than uh, than Duke, especially if, uh, if that MCL sprain from Marvin Bagley is legit. Uh, Duke just has some stuff they need to figure out. Trey Duval needs to stop shooting threes, is first and foremost. Whenever he thinks he should shoot a three, make that extra pass, please. Uh, newest addition to the top four is NC State. And it was a pretty easy decision for me. Um, if you watch Clemson play, even with Shelton Mitchell, even when they are winning, I don't think they're a, a very good team. I, when I watch NC State play, the way they play defense, you know, they have, you know, they're a true Wolfpack right now. Really, as cheesy and as cliche as that sounds, you know, uh, Kevin Keats is obviously the alpha. I think Markel Johnson is obviously the beta. And then you've got the guys that are hunting their shots. You know, you got Braxton Beverly, Sam Hunt, uh, Torn Dorn, they're they're the hunters, and uh, you got that big motherfucker in the middle in uh, Omari at seven, who is uh, you know maybe he's the backup, he's he's the he's the bodyguard for the alpha. I'm not sure how, where I'm going with that analogy, but NC State is a team that's going to get in the tournament, um, and and I think cause some cause some real havoc, uh, more so than Virginia Tech, more so than Clemson, I think, obviously more so than Louisville. Uh, and more so than Florida State. I think right now nobody wants to play this team. We're going to see it today. Um, you know, they play Florida State today, and I think they're going to they're going to. I believe the game is in Raleigh. So, yeah, uh, you know, they they have an opportunity for another top twenty-five win. Somehow, Florida State's back in the top twenty-five. Anyway, uh, number five, Clemson. Um, you know, I'm a little bit down on them just because of their reliance on the three-point shot, but I do think that, obviously, they have very good three-point shooters, so it only makes sense. My only problem with them is that they rely on a little bit too much. I think they need to get that ball into Eli Thomas. They need to work Amir Sims a little bit better. Um, again, I had questions about Brad Brownell before the season. He's, in, he's actually a finalist for National Coach of the Year. I think there's actually really only two finalists uh, for National Coach of the Year, and uh, and that would be uh, Chris Holtman at Ohio State and uh, Tony Bennett at Virginia. But, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Virginia Tech comes in at number six. My biggest problem with them is you never know what you're going to get. Home, white, it doesn't matter. Uh, Virginia Tech relies heavily on the three. Kerry Blackshear is a foul-prone guy, but he's also probably the most talented guy on that team. Um, you just never know day-to-day. -day. They're going to beat somebody by 20, and then they're going to lose by 10 to somebody who's worse than they are. Um, that said... They're a team that ha that is capable of going on a run and making it to the second weekend, um, or their team obviously that could lose on the first day in the first game of the first you know round of the tournament. Uh, FSU comes at number seven, big game today again. Like I said against North Carolina State, I don't think they can get that win. I just I think NC State's rolling right now. 
Uh, Louisville gets that that much needed win yesterday. Not sure they're in the tournament right now, but I think they're still relevant. They're still in the conversation. If they get in, I think they're going to be the ninth and the final team from the ACC, and I think the ACC only gets nine teams in. Um, excuse my dog in the background barking at somebody who's just walking by. Uh, yep, there he is again. Um, Miami rolls in at number nine. Lonnie Walker saved their season yesterday for the most part. I thought, um, hold on one second. Let me shut this goddamn dog up. You know, like I said uh, earlier in the podcast, that, that Miami win, it's not a great win, but it would have been a terrible loss. So, you know, I'm not sure it would have put them out, but it definitely, uh, you know, the loss would have hurt hurt a great deal. Uh, Syracuse rolls in at 10. Kind of a bad showing yesterday versus Duke. Obviously, it's Duke. But Syracuse, you know, I'm a big believer in the eye test. I say it every week. I know you guys are always sick of hearing it, but... Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think they're a tournament team. Uh, Notre Dame, I think, is relevant. I have them at 11 behind Syracuse because at this point it really doesn't matter. I think they're pretty interchangeable. Uh, big comeback yesterday. They're now 17-12. and 12. I think they're going to end the season 18-13. and 13. Uh, They uh, have a game against Pittsburgh next, and they finish out the regular season against Virginia. Uh, they're going to have to win some ACC tournament games in order to get in the dance. But I think right now they have a decent resume to be in consideration. I think they were in first four out, next four out yesterday. Either way, they're in the first eight out uh, of the tournament. Number 12, I have BC. Uh, 13, 14, 15, I have uh, Wake, Georgia Tech, and Pittsburgh in that order. Uh, we don't really need to get into that. Those are teams that if you can if you can help it, avoid watch playing because it's just going to depress you. Okay, so biggest story of the week. Well, I'd say the first big story of the week in regards to the ACC was Louisville becomes the first team in NCAA history to vacate a championship banner. <sighs> you know, a, a couple Twitter conversations I had, I don't understand. A, a banner is a visual aid. Um, do I know who won the 2013 national championship? Yeah, Louisville did. You know who I know? Because I know because I watched the game. You know, they beat Michigan that year. Um, they had a really a fucking great team that year. I believe it was Peyton Siva's year. Um, I don't need a banner. I don't need a banner to know that Louisville won the game. You know where I've never been? I've never been to Louisville, Kentucky. You know what I've never seen? I've never seen that NCAA banner. It has zero impact on 99.99% of college basketball fans because they don't ever see the banner. It's a point of pride for Louisville fans. It's something they get to look at, and if they bring in a friend from, from Big Blue Nation, they'll say, hey, Look at that, motherfucker. Yeah, we won in 2013. We're not the little brother to Kentucky. Okay, Louisville basketball matters in this state. You know, they lose the Final Four from the year before as well. Again, who gives a shit? We all know they were there. Um, they vacate 123 wins. And I say that while I'm making a, a lewd jerk-off motion with my right hand. Who gives a fuck? You know, Syracuse vacated a bunch of wins for Bayheim. Nobody cares. Okay. Patino claims that this that this you know punishment is excessive. I think Patino's denials are excessive at this point. Um, he he's got to play it out every time something new comes out about Louisville. He needs to come to their defense, basically to save face. He's got to be tired of this of this charade by now. He has to be. Um, I just the you know the the controversies and the shenanigans they keep coming out about Louisville under his watch. What did he do? Did he go to practice and then go home and sleep for fucking 16, 20 hours a day? I, I, I don't understand. Did he spend that much time on the recruiting trail that he had no idea what was going on in his own backyard? Nobody believes you, Rick. And I hear Dick Vitale last night defending him. Uh, you know, eh, Vitale, 
love the guy. You know, I, I grew up on Dick Vitale. Um, he, he's the days have passed him by. You know, what does he need? I said it on Twitter last night. It's like he needs a picture of a recruit, you know, getting banged by a, a, a prostitute with Patino sitting in the shadows in a chair in the corner rubbing his hands together like the guy from The Simpsons. You know, you need a picture of that to prove it, Dickie V? Come on, man. You, you got to be – there can only be so much smoke before you see the fire. You know what I mean? Something like that. It just – and, and I, I get into Twitter beefs with – with, with guys saying that the banner matters. The banner doesn't matter. We know who won the 2013 title. Are you aware of the team in the early 90s that went to back-to-back -back, uh, national championship games, lost to Duke and North Carolina? Of course you are. It was Michigan. You know, those games happened. Everybody remembers. That was, you know, 25 years ago. I still remember. I was a little kid. We all know the games happen. The, the players have rings. You know, the, it's in any almanac that you have from the past three years. You know, those games happened. Louisville won the title in 2013. You know how I know? Because I watched the game. You know, and, and NCAA pretending like this is some kind of punishment is ridiculous. Now, the losing of four scholarships over the next four years or whenever they, they, they choose to activate that punishment that was handed down, uh, whether or not that, that's more of a punishment than anything, than any vacation of wins or any uh, uh, abandonment of a banner. That's more punishment than any of that. Um, I'm not sure what the... Because I, I was, I was uh, told I was incorrect, uh, basically, on Twitter. I made a statement that I didn't see anything, uh, no recruiting sanctions. They used prostitutes to recruit. Okay, Malik Beasley, I believe, openly admitted it. It was either him or Antonio Blakeney. I can't remember. But, I mean, how can you not? Four scholarships over four years? <laughs> that is nothing. Especially with a team like Louisville is signing four- and five-star guys. They're going to go eight deep anyway. Even if they go 10 deep, who gives a shit, okay? You go 10 deep with four or five-star guys, who cares about that 13th scholarship? So, you know, it's, it, I think it's laughable. The, the, it's, it's just it's ridiculous. Um, I, I don't think it matters. Louisville, congratulations on your national title in 2013. Some people say that it's going to matter that Patino is now considered one of the only coaches to not win multiple uh, championships at multi – I'm sorry, win multiple championships, one at two different schools. No. When I talk about Rick Pitino, when you talk about Rick Pitino, even before this banner was vacated, the first thing you're going to talk about is sex in a restaurant bathroom with a waitress. Okay, You're going to talk about strippers being used as recruiting tools, and you're going to talk about Adidas paying guys on his behalf. Something else that he's denied. These are major violations. Well, I mean, sex in a, in a restaurant bathroom is not a major violation. That's just a, you know, you know, hopping on the good foot and doing the bad thing, having a good time. You know, doesn't really have any impact on basketball. It looks bad when you're talking to boosters, I guess, but it really looks bad in the media. They're going to play it off. Who gives a fuck that Rick Pitino got laid in a bathroom? His wife is the only one who really cares about that. Um, but, you know, the, the Adidas thing, the stripper thing, I won't call it stripper gate because it's retarded, but these are the things you're going to talk about Rick Pitino before you ever get to, to multiple championships. That's the first thing you're going to talk about is, well, he paid Brian Bowen 100 grand. Now, whether Brian Bowen got that money or not, nobody knows, and it's it's become a, a little bit evident that he did not, but he also used strippers as recruiting tools, and, you know, from that you can imply or infer that uh, there's probably some drugs involved, which I can't make that claim. I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't in the room. So Patino's legacy it was tarnished long before this banner came down. Um, you know, I... I think it's ridiculous to put that much faith in a banner. It's a visual aid. Who gives a shit? 
you know, I, I, I don't have my OSHA certification card anymore, but I still took the class. It still happened. You know, I, I still know and have the knowledge from my lear what I learned in that class. So I, I don't understand what people's fascinations with, uh, with visual aids are. But anyway, let's move on to obviously the biggest story of the week uh, nationwide in college basketball. And that's uh, some things coming out, uh, teams being named in the FBI probe. Uh, first thing I guess I want to know is why is the FBI leaking information? Uh, it's my experience and other people's opinion that uh, they do this in order to win in the court of public opinion. Not sure the case is that strong. Um, I, I, you know, you got to think that they just they, they hammer fist it when they have everything. But right now, I think they're creating a uh, a backing. I guess um, it, it reminds me of the UNC NCAA case. You know, NCAA keeps releasing all this information about what was going on and who was doing what, and and players, and that you know that makes players make comments that you know Rashad McCants never went to class, somehow made the fucking honor roll, and and it's like they're they're building it up for somebody else to take care of the dirty work, and then ultimately what happened, they hit somebody with a show cause that doesn't even work at the university anymore. Um, I'm not sure the FBI can prove that any of the money ever went to recruits. I mean, I can create a spreadsheet in the next five minutes that has dollar amounts and names on it. Doesn't mean those players got any money. You know what I mean? I could put, I could put anything. Now, if you combine that and they have thirty thousand something hours of wiretaps, now you combine those ledgers with something they hear on those wiretaps. Okay, you know that's a little bit of corroboration, but at the same time, it could still be hearsay. Now, again, I'm not a legal guy. I'm not a lawyer by any means. Uh, not even a legal expert, not even a paralegal. I don't even know what the paralegal is, really. I thought it was a secretary. Apparently, it's more than that. But anyway, one thing you can look at as an example is charges uh, against the uh, the one family AAU uh, coordinator, Brad Augustine. Those charges were dropped. Why? Because it couldn't prove anything. All he did, all he did, was say that he pocketed the money that he got from Adidas that was supposed to go to the family or or a certain recruit. Okay. You know, show me, how do you track cash apart from serial numbers? You know, he he may have passed that 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 uh, that cash along. I I don't know. I don't know Brad Augustine. I know the father of the recruit minimally, which is to say that we've had a couple conversations uh, on Twitter and on message boards. Um, but uh, there's no way to prove that. Now the other thing that let me go down through. I have a list here. Somebody put a list together uh, of of kind of a breakdown of what happened. And I'm just going to run down through this real quick. Uh, potential impermissible benefits and preferential treatment for players and families, uh, including schools that had players who received 10 grand or more in questionable benefits. Uh, AC school, ACC schools named in that list are Duke, North Carolina, NC State. Now, obviously, uh, I don't know about Duke, North Carolina, as far as the in excess of 10 grand, but NC State, there's an allegation out there of uh, Dennis Smith Jr. taking 70 plus thousand dollars in personal loans out from this Andy Miller character, or Christian Dawkins, one or the other, um, to be later paid back after he turns pro and signs with that agency. Now, obviously, that is that is in the FBI's purview. Uh, I think in that in just a second. Uh, schools named in uh, Christian Dawkins' expense reports, uh, seeking reimbursements for thousands of dollars, uh, as re reported to college and high school players and their families. Louisville, Clemson, both named there. Now, if Clemson's cheating, you know, Shit, they're not doing it very well. Uh, schools that paid players or families listed meeting with Dawkins. Uh, Alabama's on that list, which you know that's Colin Sexton. Uh, Notre Dame, Duke, Carolina, Virginia all appear on that list. 
schools with active players implicated. Uh, Duke, Wendell Carter was actually implicated. Now, let's talk about this. Wendell Carter, apparently his... I, I can't remember... There was two situations with, with players. One was Wendell Carter, the other was Malcolm Brogdon for UVA. I believe Malcolm Brogdon, his mother met with an agent... Um, and the agent paid for a lunch at the Ritz-Carlton, which came out to $61. Who gives a fuck, okay? Wendell Carter's lunch or dinner or something like that was like $109. Who cares? At that point, even the NCAA, they make you pay the money back, and I don't, I don't even believe there's a suspension uh, affiliated with uh, any dollar amount less than $200, something like that. So th this is pretty minor. This is grabbing headlines. This is clickbait, okay? This is basically all this is. Uh, schools with former players implicated Clemson, Louisville, NC State, North Carolina Notre Dame and Virginia uh, obviously the Virginia one is Malcolm Brogdon um, Louisville I'm not really sure, it could be any number of players I would assume um, that it was uh, Brian Bowen but again, I, I don't really know you know, when did we know that NC State would be implicated? Uh, about the same time that Kevin Keats came out and said he was 100% sure that NC State would not be implicated you know that's the old uh, that's the old baseball general manager vote of confidence deal there. You know you knew North Carolina was going to be implicated when Roy Williams came out and said no 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 we're clean, we're clean. We get uh, we get four or five star guys, top 100 guys in uh, to come in here when everybody else is offering them money. They come here out of tradition. Okay, that's that's the type of nonsense that these guys expect us to believe. Uh, you know the ability to get information these days, it, it, it's too easy. Um, you know, and, and some of these fans, they want to believe that their their teams are clean. And I understand that completely. I have certain preferences or certain, um, uh, you know, fanhood, you know, teams that I root for that I want to believe they're clean. I believe that Tony Bennett's clean. Um, a sixty-one dollar lunch paid for by an agent that's not affiliated with, with with Tony Bennett doesn't mean that Tony Bennett's not clean. Now it doesn't mean that uh, Coach K isn't clean either. Um, you know, when, when Wendell Carter gets a $109 dinner. But, uh, you know, people are funny um, when it comes to their teams. You know, people want to see, in order for, for Duke fans or Kentucky fans, and Kentucky fans may already know that Calipari is dirty, but in, in order for, to, to convince a Duke fan that Coach K is dirty, you have to have a picture of him standing in front of the local BB&T bank, okay, in front of that big digital clock. The big digital clock. It's got the clock. Uh, it's got the clock. It's got the date. Okay. It's got the temperature on it. Okay. He's got to be holding a canvas bag. Okay. A canvas bag with a dollar sign, like you used to see on Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. He's gonna be holding that canvas bag. He's gonna be handing it to Marvin Bagley Jr. He's gonna be shaking his hand at the same time. He needs to be looking at the camera, smiling with a name tag, Coach Shashevsky. That's the only way that you're ever gonna get a Duke fan to believe that Coach K ever gave money to Marvin Bagley. Do I know that Coach K gave money to Marvin Bagley? No. You know why? Coach K is Stringer Bell, okay? Coach K has become the bank, okay? He doesn't actually do any of this stuff on his own, okay? People do it on his behalf. He's insulated. There are layers here. As Stringer Bell, he's never in the room with dope on the table. And if you don't know who Stringer Bell is, then you need to get yourself some culture. You need to go to your local Best Buy. You need to buy The Wire all five seasons. Watch it today, okay? Take a vacation day or two. Watch The Wire. You know, get control of your life. Um... These these guys aren't these guys aren't the ones doing it, okay? They have you know it's a used car salesman that went to Duke that wants Coach K to shake his hand for a photo op in two years. Okay, these are the guys that get him money, um, possibly assistant coaches, which obviously we've seen some of them be arrested. Uh, you know Jeff Capel, uh, you know 
Twitter conspiracy, uh, you know, Jeff Capel is widely considered one of the biggest bag droppers in the company or in the in the in the NCAA, you know, in the country. So whether he does it or not, I don't know. I, you know, people tell me all the time, Capel drops bags all over the place. So, you know, if you're, if you're telling me, okay, according to this, this report, okay, you know that players are getting money, okay? Do you think that nobody's offering R.J. Barrett money? You think nobody's offering Zion Williamson money? Cam Reddish, Trey Jones, okay? These are four of the top nine recruits in the 2018 class. All of them are coming to Durham to play for Coach K. Okay, let that soak in for a second, okay? Four of the top nine recruits in the country are going to Duke. Now, last year, Brian Bowen was the number 18 recruit in the country. Apparently, he got offered 100 grand. You think that nobody else, you think that nobody else in this country is offering these four particular recruits any money? You think that those four recruits are choosing to go to Durham, North Carolina, which is right down the road from where I'm recording this podcast right now. You think they're choosing to go to Durham, North Carolina out of, out of tradition? If that doesn't say to you that there's something going shady, going on, something shady going on in Durham, you're just in denial. You're a Duke fan. I, you know, I, here's what, here's how you, how you identify this. Okay. Has your team sucked for 10 years? Yes. Did you recently hire a new coach? Yes. Once that new coach got hired, did all of a sudden these guys that have no tradition start bringing in four or five star recruits two years early? Okay. Looking at you, Auburn. Okay. Bruce Pearl, who's already been hit with one show cause, which I don't think should have been a show cause anyway. I think Bruce Pearl was persecuted personally. Um, uh, and, I, but at the same time, you can't look at Auburn a team who has very little tradition basketball-wise, and all of a sudden it's a hotbed, uh, you know, a destination for, for top-tier talent in the country. Um, I mean, Pearl's a charismatic guy. I've listened to him on multiple radio interviews. I would probably play for Bruce Pearl if he came and sat in my living room, especially if he's dropping bags at, on his way out the door. But, I, you know, I, I think you guys, some of the fans need to be realistic. You know, it doesn't it doesn't take a whole lot to see what, what we're seeing here um, as far as conspiracy um you know and at this point it's not even a conspiracy theory um it's what's happening people are getting paid uh agencies are getting involved uh what's the answer i have no idea uh some people are saying you know let let these players uh make market value um as far as if they want to do a commercial for a local you know car dealership guy or, or or whatever you know autograph signing things like that but I think it's I think you're you know you're letting the wolf in the door um, you know that it's too easy to use that commercial as an excuse to give a kid 250 grand you know when when typically it costs them you know 10 15 grand to actually produce a, a typical a typical commercial it's too easy for some booster to walk into where a kid is signing autographs and, and give him an envelope of 50 grand when he's actually only charging 20 bucks for an autograph. You know, these are the situations that I look at, and I think the FBI only cares because people aren't paying taxes on these payments. You know, it's unreported income. You know, I, I'm not really sure, obviously, bribery and corruption and, and things of that nature are, are obviously against the rules, but, you know, the FBI only cares about the money, the tax money, you know, and, and things like that. And, and, and don't forget that <laughs> the NCAA has no subpoena power. Okay, you don't have you don't have to sit down with the NCAA. You don't have to talk to them now. That puts you in a bad light, which which Bruce Pearl is obviously currently 
currently experiencing with his uh, with his uh, uh, Chuck person who was arrested and indicted. Uh, you know, but you can walk in. The the NCAA is not a law enforcement agency. You know, you can lie to them with impunity. You walk in, you tell them two plus three equals chair. You know, they're just gonna say, okay, that's what he said, and they're gonna write it down as your testimony, which you, you know you, you don't perjure yourself there because you're not under oath. So the NCAA, I, I'm not sure they're gonna punish anybody. They can because outside of what the FBI, the FBI doesn't care about the NCAA. Okay, they're gonna get what they need to get. They're gonna jail who they want to jail. And then they're just gonna just gonna walk away. They don't care. And the the only thing that the NCAA has to win is in the court of public opinion. Which if they do nothing, they're gonna get ripped to shreds. And but the only thing they have to to back up any cases they have is whatever the FBI supplies them. Which I'm not sure, obviously, that the legal talk or anything like that, uh, what they'll be privy to after the FBI, you know, completes their investigation. So. It's going to be really interesting. It's not going to happen anytime soon, I don't think. Uh, you know, the NCAA is, is notoriously slow and, and dragging their feet um, when it comes to situations like this that only involve one school. Never mind when it involves, you know, the entire, you know, 80% of the top 25 and then 50 programs that are, are very relevant in the, in the landscape of college basketball. This is good. You know, they took them, what, four years? Three years? to sort out the, the the UNC madness, which it took them that long because they were too prideful. They didn't want to admit they didn't have any authority in the situation. But when you have this many teams, this this much history, these many people under investigation, you're not going to see shit from the NCAA for 18 months to two years after the FBI concludes whatever they need to conclude. And the FBI is not going to do the NCAA any favors, I don't believe. So is it going to impact this year's tournament? I think the only impact it'll, it'll be is uh, what schools, such as Arizona, uh, decide not to let their, their coaches coach. I think Sean Miller's obviously done at Arizona. I don't know if he'll ever coach again. Now, I you know, why you would suspend Sean Miller but not suspend DeAndre Aiden, I'm not sure what that's all about. Uh, Jay Billis and, and uh, Seth Greenberg were on uh, game day yesterday talking about it, and even they, you know, would be shocked by what happened last night after they said what they said on game day as far as neither one of those people ever being associated with Arizona basketball again. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, is it going to overshadow the tournament? Not for me. You know, I, I simply because logic prevails. If you didn't know this was going on, you haven't been paying attention. You can't play this game and get on this field without getting dirty. You know, everybody knows this is what's going on. It's it's not even the NCAA's dirty little secret anymore. It's not a secret. Everybody knows. You know, the program, that fantastic football movie, the program came out in what 1994. You know, bribes and, and, and handshake cash were discussed in that movie. Everybody knows. Going back to John Wooden's UCLA days, everybody knew. It, it, this is nothing new. The only, this is casual fans or your mom that likes, you know, Duke because you went there. You know, she's finding out about this stuff. Those, those are the people that are making this a big deal right now. Um, probably spent more time on this than I should have. Probably what, uh, ran off at the mouth a little bit more than I should have uh, you know again not a legal expert this is just a, a stream of consciousness things I, I think of and if it sounded like a douche I apologize but it gets me a little wound up that people can be so absent-minded I guess non-logical about this whole stuff this whole situation we all knew what was going on now whether or not it would, you know you knew that ESPN was going to take it and run with it and, and just pound us to death with it I almost welcome the days when Tim Tebow was in the NFL as opposed to what's going on now in ESPN. Jesus fucking Christ. 
Anyway, let's move on to, I'm not going to say fun conversation, but better conversations. Uh, one thing that I had spoke about recently, and it, it pains me uh, to say, is that uh, Jerome Robinson's going pro after this year. Uh, that's what he told the Raleigh News and Observer. Uh, obviously, he told them that because he's from North Carolina. But uh, they broke the story earlier this week. He's had a tough week on the court since then. But uh, sucks for BC. Sucks for Jim Christian. they got a kid out of North Carolina, Jarius Hamilton, coming in next year uh, who's really going to help that program. They really could have used – I mean, you think about next year, if they get uh, Deontay Hawkins back to go with Popovich in the front court, um, you put Hamilton next to those guys – you get Chapman back, you get Bowman back, you get Robinson back, uh, you get the uh, uh, Tubbs, Winston Tubbs. You get that freshman who's, who's a decent shooter. Uh, again, he's a freshman, so who knows what his impact will be. You put those seven guys together, goddamn. You, you know, Stephen Mitchell's going to be back, so eight guys. You know, that gives Jim Christian his, his most legitimate team he's ever had at Boston College next year. And, uh, you know, you get hit with a bombshell like Jerome Robinson. I thought Kai Bowman would go pro before Robinson did. but the, and, and there's certainly, obviously, that uh, that possibility. Uh, if they lose both Robinson and Bowman, Jim Christian's right back to, you know, square one again. Um, Bowman is, is such a dynamic player. Uh, Robinson is such a fantastic player. You know, uh, Robinson this year, 21 points a game, 25 in ACC plays. He's actually upped his game since he's gotten out of the out-of-conference. Out of uh, listed at 6'7" probably closer to 6-5. I think he is, you know, potentially late first round, early to mid second round guy, depending on how the chips fall and, and things of that nature, uh, team need, stuff like that. Um, I think he's a tight player, uh, very athletic, obviously, uh, good finisher around the basket, obviously a good shooter. Um, could be a second round steal, you know, could be like the, uh, the Michael Red situation. Uh, they, you know, somebody, you know, great shooter in college, a uh, little bit underappreciated at draft time, and uh, goes into the draft, gets sucked up in the second round, makes a squad. Obviously, the the NBA has moved into the type of play now where shooters and and, and perimeter defense are are where it's at. You know, you're seeing guys like uh, Lewis Williams, you know, become stars. Uh, Jerome Robinson, I think, has the talent, the length, the height, and definitely uh, the ability and the drive. To, to become a successful NBA player. Now, whether or not he's going to be an all-star or not, I, I, I wouldn't go that far. Um, upside, maybe, if he reaches his ultimate potential, maybe make an all-star game. But I think he's more likely of a guy that you're going to see in like a three-point competition on all-star weekend than an actual all-star game participant. But you never know. Like I said, Michael Red. Who would have thought? Just a shooter, right? Yeah, not really. Uh, a couple milestones this week I want to talk about. You know, let's bring in some good news. You talk about Louis, you talk about vacation of banners, you talk about FBI probes, you talk about indictments, criminal activity. There were some good things that happened in this conference this week. Uh, a bunch of guys, uh, Ben Lammers reaches 1,000 points, uh, potentially could finish his career with 1,000 points, 750 rebounds, 150 assists, 250 blocks. Uh, did surpass John Sally in the, uh, on, the, on the block list, career block list for uh, Georgia Tech during the uh, Virginia game earlier this week. He will never catch Alvin Jones, who is five, heads and shoulders above everybody else on that list. Um, Parker Stewart set the record for most three-pointers made by a freshman with 60 in the Florida State game earlier this week. Uh, you know, this is a freshman who is a 6'5", 6'6", off guard. Actually got recruited at high school as a point guard. He shoots 40% as a freshman from three-point land. Now, I'm going to talk even more about this kid here in a second. This kid right here is, is the future of Pittsburgh hoops. Um, 
And uh, again, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Keyshawn Woods goes for his thousandth uh, career point this week. Again, that's a thousand total. He uh, played a year at UNC Charlotte before going to Wake Forest. Uh, Ahmed Hill gets his thousandth point yesterday for Virginia Tech, and I believe he got it on a a pretty magnificent, pretty magnificent uh, putback dunk. I'm not sure if that was the play that got him his thousand, but if you haven't seen that play, it was a pretty impressive play. Justin Robinson basically just threw it off the glass and hoping somebody get the offensive rebound. And Miller did get the rebound. Let me grab some water. Okay. Uh, so, you know, some milestone guys, some good stories, some feel-good stuff. Keyshawn Woods got 1,000 points. He's actually going to come back next year for his senior year for uh, Wake Forest, I believe. So, unless he's a graduate transfer, I don't know any of that shit right now. Um, we'll see what happens. But he is eligible for a fourth year, or a third year at Wake Forest, fourth year overall next year. Uh, injury report. Uh, Justin Bibbs did leave yesterday's game with about 22 seconds left. It was set at the time to be cramping, but I thought it looked a whole lot like a, a rolled ankle. Um, not sure how that plays out. haven't heard anything this morning. Jerome Robinson actually rolled an ankle twice this week. Both games BC played, Jerome Robinson rolled an ankle. Uh, he did keep playing yesterday, um, so we'll, we'll see how it plays out. This is, you know, some of these situations where these guys have rolled ankles, it, it, you know, you play in the game, they stay loose. It's when you sit down on the bench that they actually blow up on you. So who knows what those ankles look like when those guys woke up this morning. Uh, Rex Pfluger, you know, a.k.a. the haircut, uh, he didn't play in the Miami game earlier this week, but he did play yesterday, so it seems like everything's fine with him. Uh, Marcus Bolden had nasal surgery this week. Uh, did not play. I don't really know the specifics, nor do I really care. Um, apparently, it's not something that's going to keep him out. I don't know if he broke his nose earlier. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but I don't ever remember seeing him in a mask. He did not wear a mask last night, so it looks like he's 100% healed. Marvin Bagley did return last night. Uh, from what was quote-unquote uh, a mild MCL sprain. I think he missed four games. Now, there was some speculation on some message boards that Bagley was part of this probe and that Duke was sitting him uh, to avoid any, uh, you know, vacation of banners, vacation of wins. Um, apparently, that's not the case. Apparently, he actually did have an MCL sprain. So, eh, you know, you can't believe everything you read. Who knew? Everything on the Internet's not true. Uh, DJ Harvey, this is an interesting one. Apparently, he's been ready. Okay, apparently, he's been back. He was rumored to be back last weekend. Uh, he did not play again yesterday. Now, this is... You could see him... I, you could see him later this week against Pittsburgh. That, that's logical. Because I think you're going to see Notre Dame jump up to a, to a lead. And obviously, Fluger's banged up a little bit. So, maybe you get Harvey some run. Um, I don't think you break him in on the Virginia game before you go to the ACC tournament. It doesn't seem to quite make sense to me. So I think uh, I think you'll see Harvey in the Pittsburgh game. I think you'll see him log 20 minutes, see how he feels, and then you'll see him, you know, as needed in the Virginia game, and then get a heavy dose of minutes in the ACC tournament or as needed. He, you know, before Colson's injury, Harvey wasn't playing a whole lot to begin with. It was only after Colson got injured that Harvey see, started seeing some heavy minutes. Um, you know, he hadn't been playing that well up to the point where Colson got injured. He had that one good game after the injury, like 17, 19 points, something like that. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. Harvey's a talented kid. I just, you know, I don't know how much it's going to really help. How much is really going to help moving forward for these guys. So, anyway, that's uh, a little bit of the injury report. A uh, little bit of recruiting news. Christian Brown uh, was at Virginia Tech yesterday for an unofficial visit, which if the name uh, rings a bell, it's because he was at Georgia Tech a couple weeks ago. This kid is a, uh, he's a game changer for whoever gets him. Um, he, he's my number one priority, mine, which I have no say or 
influence at all. He would be my number one priority. Um, questionable perimeter game, I guess, but he's made 100% of the shots that I've seen on YouTube. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, he is a kid I could definitely see playing for Buzz Williams in Blacksburg, which is more of a reason that I want Buzz Williams to get the fuck out of Virginia and get back to Texas or Oklahoma where he belongs. Uh, Virginia Tech also showing interest in another G-Tech recruit in Brendan Tucker. Again, if he rings a bell, Brendan Tucker took in a game at Georgia Tech just, just recently. Um, it's kind of surprising that Virginia Tech is hosting all these perimeter guys. Uh, they need front court depth like no other team in the Power Six. It is remarkable how thin they are up front. You know, P.J. Horn, 6'5", 6'6", Chris Clark, 6'6". These are the guys that are backing up Kerry Blackshear at the center position in the ACC. This is an ACC with Marvin Bagley, Ben Lammers, Ray Spaulding, uh, Eli Thomas, uh, Luke May. You know, all these guys, you can't expect Chris, you can't expect to win games and you got to match Chris Clark or Paris Horn up against some of these guys. So, uh, you know, Virginia Tech obviously is a perimeter-orientated offense, but at the same time, you know, you're not seeing a whole lot of of front court guys being hosted by them, which is which is interesting. I'm sure Buzz Williams is going to address that. He's a very good coach, very smart guy, very good recruiter. Um, Duke offered uh, Joe Girard the third, which again is another guy that I just talked about, I believe, last week. You know, you picture Joe Girard, you see him in a Duke uniform. You know, there's certain certain players that on the recruiting trail that when you see them play, just their style of play just seems to fit. Um, with a uh, with with a certain with a certain team, um, the the big guy that uh, signed with Kansas and his name escapes me right now. You watch him play; he looks like a Kansas guy. He looks like he wants to rip down the backboard every time he goes up. He looks like uh, the, uh, the well the centers that they have at Kansas, which of course I'm live now, so the names all escape me. But uh, he just looks like a typical Kansas center. This kid looks like a typical Duke player. This kid looks like a kid who's going to roll off a double screen on the baseline or an elbow screen and, and put up threes, you know, going to his left. Looks like J.J. Redick. It is what it is. He, I mean, he just looks like a Duke kid. Christian Brown looks like a Virginia Tech kid. Now, the kids, they could both end up at Kansas. You know, they might end up at Texas. I don't know. You know, when I pictured Mo Bamba before the season, I thought he looked like a Kentucky player. It's just, it's just funny how you, uh, you uh, attribute certain uh, players' style of play to certain programs. Uh, FSU offered 2020 shooting guard Nicola Mannion this, year, uh, this week, four-star shooting guard. I've watched a little bit of tape on him, not a lot, um, not enough to where I can form an opinion. Obviously, if Carlton Young and Leonard Hamilton are offering him, he's a good player. Um, and obviously with Leonard Hamilton and Carlton Young still being on staff, they have a legit shot at fucking landing him. So I, before I comment on him, I, you know, i got to watch some more tape. Uh, and again, it's, it's difficult to draw any conclusions off YouTube because they make 100% of the shots. So, you know, you got to look for a little separation. you got to look for a release point. you got to look for, for certain things that may give you some hints on whether or not he can actually succeed at the ACC level. Wake Forest hosted uh, 2019 Top 150 recruit Patrick Williams yesterday on an official visit. Um... There was also a story on uh, a 2020 five-star kid named Jamin Brakefield um, being very interested in Georgia Tech. But if you <laughs> actually take the clickbait and you click on it, you'll see it's uh, it was produced by a Georgia Tech-backed uh, outlet, media outlet, so you take that with a grain of salt. I don't think the kid will ever be in Atlanta. Um, there are guys that I talk to on Twitter that don't think that he will ever even make an official visit to Atlanta. Uh, he's simply waiting on a Kentucky offer. So... Um, 
again, just a little bit of recruiting news. Obviously, that's a drop in the bucket of what is actually going on. You know, I didn't hear anything about uh, if anybody got their paychecks this week uh, amid uh, this investigation by the FBI. But you know, I hadn't heard about that before the FBI investigation either. So. Uh, going to move into the stock report a little bit. This is going to be a little bit different, um, a little bit different than what I've done before. Typically, it's teams. Today, I'm going to do futures um, and and things I think that are going to happen uh, with this conference in the offseason and possibly players' careers uh, going down the line. One thing I'm selling is David Padgett at Louisville. Um, I think with everything that's going on, you know, something's going to come out, and something already has come out about Patino. And this is this is more on Patino than I than I think Paget. Paget has done an admirable job, admirable job, I think, at, at the Louisville Post. Um, but I think at the end of the day, he he's going to be a victim of being associated with Patino. Um, I think I think Louisville would be smart, and I think that they would want to separate themselves fully and completely from Rick Patino. And Paget is a Patino guy. Played for Paget, worked under Paget, replaced. Oh, sorry, worked for Patino, played for Patino, replaced Patino. You know, I don't know what their relationship is, but uh, Patino is a confidant of Paget. You know, I'm sure he still goes to him for advice. I'm sure they still talk on the regular. I think Louisville's going to separate themselves from the Patino era 100% after the court, after this season. You know, um, I, I just I, I don't see it ending any other way. They need to wash their hands completely, I think. And Padgett hasn't exactly blown away anybody with his on-court um, product. So, we'll see how that how that plays out. At the very least, I think, if Padgett does stay, it'll be interesting to see what he does with that, with that, uh, that coaching staff. Because, you know, that was a patchwork coaching staff. Uh, I know Trent Johnson's on it. I believe Greg Paulus is on it as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they revamp that in the offseason, if Padgett does stay. So, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Uh, who I'm holding on, Parker Stewart. Really like Parker Stewart. Of all the Pittsburgh freshmen, I think Marcus Cowell is probably the most highly rated, but Parker Stewart is the best, I think, of those of those freshmen. Uh, good shooter, good rebounder. Like Again, shoots 40% from, from deep. Um, my, my only wonder is, is he going to stay? I mean, it must be difficult to be a, a Pittsburgh player right now, you know, a, a kid associated with that program. You're basically the laughing stock of the power five or six conferences, which uh, is difficult to do. When Rutgers fans can laugh at you, jeez, that's bad news bears. You know, maybe Cal, but who wants to be associated with that either? So, you know, Cal, Cal and Pittsburgh, you know, are competitively racing towards being the worst programs in the Power Six. Um, I, I hope he stays. If he does leave, I hope he goes to Atlanta. Well, let's just say that, which he won't because of transfer regulations. But, uh, you know, you know, Kevin Stallings not known to be really easy on his players, and through a, a season such as this, either he's gotten soft or he's gotten really hard on his players. So we'll see how that happens. I think, you know, I think Marcus Carr, I've said it a hundred times, and I apologize for keep repeating myself, but I think Marcus Carr has high-end potential. He just needs to learn how to finish. You know, he, he gets he gets the open looks. He gets in the lane. He just doesn't finish very well. I think the Stewart kid, he's 6'5", 6'6", off guard, who can shoot over the top of zones and things like that, which he's going to see against teams like Syracuse and uh, Georgia Tech in this league. I, I think they're good building blocks, um, and I think he has a bright future. The only thing I'm hesitant with on Parker Stewart is whether or not I think he stays in the conference, which you know, he could go to the Big East, for instance, and probably be a star. 
Um, and who the fuck wants to play for Kevin Stallings? So, anyway, that's my thoughts on Parker Stewart. Um, and there goes my dog again. And um, who am I buying this week? Whose future am I buying this week? Well, based on yesterday's game and his heroics, some people are going to point to that Miami game and say that uh, Lonnie Walker was the hero of that game. Um, maybe. In, in the last 10 seconds, sure, absolutely. That was a huge shot. Lonnie Walker made a great play, an NBA play. He's an NBA caliber player. The guy who actually brought them back, I think, was Chris Likes. And he's a player that I am 100% buying uh, for the rest of his career at Miami. Uh, I think he's playing for the correct coach. I think Larinaga likes, appreciates, and coaches uh, small point guards very well. He's always had small point guards at, at, uh, at Miami. Um, I, I think that, you know, Likes isn't a great shooter, not a great scorer, but he's one of the guys that in, in the conference that when he gets hot, you know, he's a microwave. He's Dennis Johnson. Um, you know, double figures, six of, his last eight, six of his last eight games, 13 points per game in those games. A lot of that has to do with usage, usage rate in Bruce Brown's, Jesus Christ, in Bruce Brown's absence. Um, but Chris likes moving forward. I think if he can learn to help his teammates a little bit better, uh, especially in the half-court sets, get them in, in, in the proper position, uh, put them in a, six, uh, uh, a position to succeed. I think he's a very good point guard for Miami. Uh, even, you know, despite his limitations in, uh, in stature and height, I think he's just a dynamic player who, uh, you know, who's, who's going to be great for Miami moving forward. And if he learns how to be a point guard and he gets, you know, Bruce Brown back next year, uh, gets Duan Hewell back next year, I think Miami's going to be a really good team. Um, you know, I, I look forward to seeing to see Chris Likes. You know, he, I mean, the kid plays just like Earl Boykins, which if you don't know who Earl Boykins is, he was a point guard at Eastern Michigan in the mid-90s who was five foot five, you know, maybe five foot five in his sneakers. Made it to the NBA, uh, played with Denver. Uh, you know, had, a, had a, a respectable NBA career. So I, this kid reminds me a lot of him. Of course, it has a lot to do with his height, with his size. But... Uh, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Chris Likes play over four years at Miami. And I think Larinago will put him in a, in a position to succeed. I think uh, he'll be a good point guard for this for this conference. Um, that is the ACC basketball report for this week. Uh, big game today, NC State, Florida State. NC State is my pick. Um, again, uh, look at uh, accbasketballreport.com for any additional content to the podcast. Though I am transitioning, like I've said in recent weeks, transitioning from uh, content on that site to uh, content on this podcast, and we're going to go a different way with that uh, with that website a little bit. I am going to be looking to possibly add some people just to uh, contribute to that site a little bit. Um, so if you are interested, shoot me a DM on Twitter. That'd be uh, that'd be really cool to get uh, some additional some additional content, some additional points of view on that site. Uh, really looking forward to it. So uh, you know, big things setting up the studio today, which I'm really excited about. Um, after today, this podcast should sound a little bit different. I still got to navigate my way through some stuff. But uh, really excited about uh, the future of this podcast. So uh, ACCBasketballReport.com. Don't forget to like, rate, review, and share. Tell your friends, tell your brothers and sisters, tell your mom, you know, anybody who's an ACC fan about this podcast. And uh, I appreciate you guys, and have a good rest of your weekend.